Hello, and welcome to the Knights Podcast. My name is Leah Thompson, and as a graduate of Cary Christian School, it's my honor to get to introduce you to our phenomenal group of teachers. On this week's episode, I have the privilege of reintroducing you to rhetoric school history and seminar teacher Tom McMahon. He's going to dive into the topic of stoicism and what it is and how we can glean from it and how our students can even see Christ in the midst of um, this pagan philosophy. So I'm excited for you guys to get to jump into this conversation and please just join me in welcoming him. Tom, thank you so much for joining me this morning on the podcast. I'm really excited to dive into this conversation with you about stoicism. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I teach stoicism to freshmen at the end of the year, so we haven't done it yet, but it's always one of the things that I look forward to the most. Yeah, it seems like I don't I don't know much about stoicism, so I'm excited to kind of have you teach me about it and tell me what it looks like in the classroom and how the students engage with it. So to start us off, what is stoicism? Yeah, okay. So um, if you want to think about it academically, uh, after the death of Socrates and the fragmentation of the Greek world after the Peloponnesian War, there's really three philosophical strands that come out of the Socratic and Aristotelian tradition. Uh, That would be Epicureanism, this uh, idea of hedonism that we're all fairly familiar with. Uh, There's also skepticism, the idea that, uh, you know, it's kind of stemming from the Socratic idea that I don't know anything. The only thing I know is that I know nothing. Uh, But in my opinion, the greatest of these traditions is Stoicism. And Stoicism has a bad rap today. It's kind of, uh, we, we, we think about it as being this bottling everything up. And the, the stoic man is the man who, when something bad happens to him, he just doesn't complain. Um, and, it, but, but it builds inside of his soul. Um, and he kind of shuts off all emotion hmm. and that's not really true. Uh, stoicism really is the idea that you are only worrying about the things that you can control Hmm. and that nothing else, uh, the things that are not under your control, they're not worth worrying about. And so when these things happen to you outside of your control, there's no point in getting upset by them. Hmm. Uh, because it's really no skin off your back. It's simply the cards that uh, were dealt to you. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, so historically, when you're looking at this, this, what did you call it? You called it a, not a mode of thought. This school is it like a school. A, yeah, of it's, a, it's definitely a philosophical school. Yeah. Like a fragment of Socratic philosophy, okay. but it, it becomes a, a, its own school. Okay. What would you, how would you describe the, ideal stoic what what does that look like the the ideal stoic only fears one thing and that would be abdicating his moral responsibility Hmm. i believe it was whitman said that uh greatness is the idea that virtue is enough Hmm. and this is a very eloquent way to phrase stoicism um the only thing that the Stoic fears is failing in his moral duty. And that ties back into the idea that it's it's the things within his control that he controls. And so that yeah. applies to his moral duty, his virtue, whereas the things outside of his control. Exactly. Yeah. You, so, you know, you can't worry about 
you know, your, your actions themselves failing. Um, the only thing you worry about failing is, is your, your motivation doing what's right. Hmm. Um, and so if, if the stoic is doing what's right, um, then no matter the outcome of the situation, he has not really failed. Hmm. Uh, this to the stoic is, uh, living in accordance with nature. Um, and we have to remember that stoicism is a, is a, is a pagan philosophy, right. um, which we can touch on in a little while, but, um, the idea that, that, that failing, uh, failing your duty to yourself is the greatest, uh, is the greatest, uh, problem. So, uh, I think it would be helpful if, if we read a little bit of, um, the Stoics mm. and, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, two of the greatest Stoic philosophers, it's this wonderful twist of history. Uh, two of the greatest are Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. And um, Epictetus was a slave and Marcus Aurelius was an emperor. Hmm. And so it shows that in a sense, philosophy is one of those great equalizers of humanity. Everyone, hmm. no matter your standing, can take part hmm. in philosophy mm-hmm. and can join the philosophical project. Um but uh, I'd really like to talk about Marcus Aurelius today, the, the Roman emperor, because um, he is truly just an amazing person uh, that, that I think we should take note of and, and study him and wonder how he did what he did. Mm-hmm. And the way I, you know, I would challenge you to think if, if you had no limits, mm-hmm. no restraints, if you could do whatever you want, how quickly would your desires master you mm-hmm. rather than you mastering your desires? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, Marcus Aurelius was the emperor of Rome at the height of Roman of Rome's power. He was mm-hmm. the last of what we call the good emperors, which meant he was ruling Rome uh, at the end of the time uh, when we would say things were just going really well for Rome. Mm-hmm. Truly, the master of the of the, uh, of the of the known world at this time. So, if if Marcus Aurelius wanted all of the money in the empire, which Mm -hmm. for the most part is the known world. Uh, He could just collect it. Mm -hmm. He could literally just, he could make an edict and collect all the money. If he wanted all of the food in the world, he could have it brought to him. Mm -hmm. If he wanted all the wine or all whatever, he could Mm -hmm. have it brought to him. Any kind of pleasure that he desired, Mm -hmm. he could make it his, but he didn't. The temptation for a Roman emperor is uh, pretty obvious to us, and it's borne out time and time again in history, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about Tiberius mm-hmm. or Caligula or Nero, these men that live in infamy with their reputations and legacies, a complete disgrace to humanity because they were mastered by their passions mm. rather than mastering those passions. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Aurelius is a standing reproof to this idea. Lord Acton, very pithily, he said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And generally that is true in life. It really is. Um, but not for Marcus Aurelius. Mm. He's one of the few people that I can think of uh, in history um, that that lives his entire life in power and without disgrace. Mm. And uh, and so I think it's worth studying his great work, The Meditations. And The Meditations was written uh, in the middle of his reign um, 
along the banks of the Danube River, where he is stationed with his army waiting for uh, German invaders to come across the river Mm. and invade the Roman Empire. And so Marcus Aurelius is looking down the corridors of his life into the past and and also into the future. He knows that in this next campaign, it is possible that he will die on the battlefield or that he will lose, uh, depending on how the campaign goes, lose much of his holdings Mm -hmm. in the empire. And uh, he says all kinds of things to himself in this book because it's, it's meditations. They're written for him and not for anyone else. He did not, when he died, he asked that the work be burned and thankfully it wasn't. Um, but he says all these amazing things um, that I think are, are, they're valuable for a Roman emperor about to fight against the Germans. And they're valuable for you and I here today. Hmm. Uh, so I'm going to read a couple of the things that he says. Uh, one of the, one of my favorite ones in book five, He says this, at dawn, when you have trouble getting out of bed, tell yourself, I have to go to work as a human being. What do I have to complain of if I'm to do what I was born for, the things I was brought into the world to do? Or is this what I was created for, to huddle under the blankets and stay warm? But it's nicer here. So you were born to feel nice? Instead of doing things and experiencing them, don't you see the plants, the birds, the ants and spiders and bees going about their individual tasks, putting the world in order as best they can, and you're not willing to do your job as a human being? Why aren't you running to do what your nature demands? But we have to rest sometime. Agreed. But nature set a limit on that, as it did on eating and drinking, and you're over the limit. You've had more than enough of that, but not of working. There you're still below your quota. And that sounds rather harsh, but then he goes on to say, you don't love yourself enough or you'd love your nature too and what it demands of you. People who love what they do wear themselves down doing it. They even forget to wash or eat. Do you have less respect for your own nature than the engraver does for engraving, the dancer for the dance, the miser for money, or the social climber for status? When they're really possessed by what they do, they'd rather stop eating and sleeping than give up practicing their arts. Is helping others less valuable to you, not worth your effort? Now, remember, he's an an emperor and he sees his job as helping his subjects. Mm -hmm. And he says, look, are you going to sit there in bed and take comfort on yourself and stay warm? That's not what you're that's not what you were made to do. For whatever reason, you were put here on Earth as an emperor. Be an emperor and, and do that job well. Yeah. Wow. And just that, I mean, that's convicting to me. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) When I want to hit snooze on my alarm clock rather than embracing the day and saying, let's see what, let's see what's in store and how I can help the people around me. Absolutely. Yeah. It it is very convicting. And uh, it's easy to look at Aurelius and say like, wow, what an awesome guy. I wish, I wish I had a boss like Aurelius, like this guy who's just goal oriented and he's just He's, he's all over it. But but honestly, I think having a boss like Aurelius, that would be be kind of awful in one sense because you would do, uh, you know, you'd do a subpar job and he would have no pity on you. He'd say, well, what do you think you're here to do? Right? <laughs> and, and then you do this amazing job. You'd go in above and beyond and he'd say, well, of course, well, of course, that's your nature. That's yeah. what you're supposed to do. You know, like, <laughs> do you want a cookie? Like, what's the deal? You know, you, you're just doing what you were made to do. Good for you. You know, don't don't tell me about it. Just keep doing what you're supposed to do. That's so, so it is convicting, though, right, to have a guy like this um, who's just going 90 to nothing all the time. 
another one. He says, he says, concentrate every minute like a Roman, like a man on doing what's in front of you with precise and genuine seriousness, tenderly, willingly, with justice, and on freeing yourself from all other distractions. Yes, you can. If you do everything as it were the last thing you were doing in your life and stop being aimless, stop letting your emotions override what your mind tells you, stop being hypocritical, self-centered, irritable. You see how few things you have to do to live a satisfying and reverent life. If you can manage this, that's all even the gods can ask of you. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we ought to remember there at the end, he's talking about the gods that he's not, he's, he's not a Christian. um, it, It seems like, and so, you know, kind of that question, uh, it was Marcus Aurelius, a Christian. He, he says all these wonderful things that even as Christians, we can say, wow, yeah, that's great. I really mm-hmm. like that. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation. There's there's a couple letters uh, that supposedly Marcus Aurelius wrote where he uh, confesses Christianity. However, most scholars believe these to be spurious. Um, mm-hmm. I think the truth of the matter is that it seems like he was a pagan. I'm not saying that he you know, for sure was not, not a his Christian. judge, but right, yeah. Right. Do you ever compare him to, uh, is Israel's Kings and the King there, the different struggles that we see in David and Solomon and, and some of the evil Kings also in the Old Testament. Yeah, that, that's great. I mean, um, we haven't done that in class. It's a great idea. Um, because it's interesting that Marcus Aurelius never disgraces himself, but, but David does. Right. right. And so there's a lot to learn that uh, I think it, it points to the sense that we should not, we should not seek disgrace. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, we shouldn't try to be perfect on our own mm-hmm. either. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, Marcus Royce, you know, no one is perfect. Um, he did a, he did a good job mm-hmm. though, but, but, but that didn't save him. Right. Right. You know, if, if in fact he was a pagan, which, you know, I'm not a betting man, but that's what I would, that's what I would guess. Yeah. Um, that it, ultimately he wasn't saved because his works were wonderful, but his, his works are not salvific. Yeah. Right. The only works that are salvific are the works of Christ. Yeah. And uh, they save us in our brokenness. So, mm-hmm. so even though, you know, you might, you might argue that from a, uh, from an irreligious standpoint, Marcus Aurelius does a better job than David. Mm-hmm. David is a man after God's own heart mm-hmm. because he puts his trust completely in God. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he follows God without question, right? He, at the end of the day, he is God's man through and through without reservation. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Aurelius is not. Yeah. So that's not to say we can't learn anything from Marcus Aurelius, right. but it's always important to keep that in mind. That's great. Well, and again, and I think we've talked about this before too, with the idea that you are introducing students to deep ideas, seeking truth in the context of this is an ultimate truth, but it can point us to Christ and we can learn from this. Um, And ultimately they're going out into the world and going to be dealing with all kinds of worldviews. And so allowing them to engage in this conversation and see um, the merits of stoicism, but also the pitfalls um, Mm -hmm. is so valuable as they're preparing to go out and see merits and other things and pitfalls and other things. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, A a Christian can embrace certain stoic ideals. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't think he can uh, be fully a stoic and a Christian. Um, But I suppose, you know, you could say 
in a sense, you could be a stoic Christian, mm-hmm. right? Emphasis mm-hmm. on Christian, right? right. Stoic is the adjective there. Right. The noun where we find our identity is the Christian is Christ. Yeah. 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 The, one of the big questions is, particularly for our students here at Cary Christian School, where we want everything to point to Christ, you know, is stoicism compatible with Christianity. I mean, you know, you look at Acts uh, 17 Mm -hmm. and in the middle of the chapter, you have Paul, he's in Athens and he goes to the Areopagus Mm -hmm. and he's, it literally says he's arguing with the Epicureans and the Stoics, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, as we all know, um, Paul did not have a lot of success in Athens, right? And, uh, And so at the end of the day, is Stoicism compatible with Christianity? Probably not, Mm -hmm. right? But that does not mean that Christians can't learn from Stoicism. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that we can't learn about our own faith through Christianity. Um, You know, Clement of Alexandria argued that just as rain falls on the ground from heaven, so also with philosophy, wisdom came down from God to humanity in general. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, The difference is between the difference between Christianity and all of the other uh, philosophies, which do provide wisdom to humans, mm-hmm. right? Platonic or Stoic or uh, Aristotelian or Epicurean thought, they, they do provide wisdom to humans, but, but none of them synthesize and systematize mm-hmm. truth in the same way that Christianity does. They're all fragments and Christianity is the whole mm-hmm. of wisdom, the whole of knowledge and the whole of truth. So it puts together all of the pieces. So I always ask my students and they always wrestle with it, right? Because, you know, you read these passages to them and they're, they're great. They're, you know, they're do what you're supposed to do. Don't be lazy. Yeah. Um, accept personal responsibility. There are all these things that, that we as, as modern people and Americans and, and Christians believe, right. Um, but they're coming from a source outside of, of Christ, right? Mm-hmm. But but all truth is God's truth, right? And uh, Christ is 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 the one who ties everything together. Now I'm not trying to say that it's on the same level as Christ, and that right. Christ is merely the bridge. But um, Christ is certainly above Stoicism. Mm-hmm. Um, but the knowledge that Stoics bring to us. Uh, is valuable yeah. is valuable it's not divine truth by no means but it is but it is true and it yeah. is um and it is part of god's truth mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. one more quick question yeah of course um what do the how do the students respond when you guys are talking through this topic what is their initial reaction to stoicism when you present it to them uh, you know, last year was the first year we taught it and they loved it. I thought, um, they thought it was really interesting. Um, it helps that, uh, you know, Marcus Aurelius's meditations is written in, uh, books mm-hmm. and the first book is, is called his debts and lessons. Um, and he doesn't have any philosophizing in the first book. All he does is say, uh, to my father, I owe this. To my mother, you helped me with this. To my teacher, I learned this from you. To my brother, you showed me this. And it's uh, 
it's interesting that he begins his philosophy with gratitude. Hmm. And I think the students really caught on to that. So we read the, the first book of the meditations and then uh, I have them write their own debts and lessons. Hmm. And so uh, they write to their parents or to teachers or to friends or to cousins or whoever, mm -hmm. and they tell them why they're grateful to them. And I encourage my students to share that with them. Who knows if they do, but I think even just the act of recognizing mm -hmm. that in life, we are not standing on our own mm -hmm. um, or helped along by our friends and relatives and those who care for us. I think that introspection, that self-introspection is incredibly valuable to students. That's awesome. So in general, I, I think they really enjoy stoicism and, and they also enjoy, um, they enjoy someone exhorting them to take responsibility for their own actions. Mm. Uh, I think sometimes we live in a culture where we're told that um, just, just, do whatever you can. And, and if you don't want to do something, don't do it. And that's okay. Just live according to your feelings. Mm -hmm. um, and, and while, you know, we should take everything in moderation, I think the students love the challenge to greater responsibility and authority. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's something about humans that we want to we want to achieve, yeah. right? Uh, we want we want to live the purpose mm -hmm. that we were made for. Mm -hmm. And of course, uh, my seminar class at the end of the day, the whole the whole uh, idea that we're trying to point students to is, what were you made to do? Mm -hmm. What's your purpose in this life, yeah. right? And this is this is a way to help them see that. Of course, that ultimate purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Right. Yeah. As the Westminster catechism says. Um, and so any way that we can help them do that, mm -hmm. that's our goal. Well, and it gives them a sense of dignity and respect when you say, Hey, I think that you can be held responsible for these things rather than being like, Oh, you're just, you're just a teenager. You're going to, you're going to forget to turn that in or you're going to, but it's like, no, I'm going to respect you enough to have this expectation that you can be responsible for your actions. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's such a great point. Um, our students, you know, the, the whole idea of education is transitioning a child to an adult and, mm -hmm. and doing that well and, and yeah. making them, um, making them a good adult. Mm -hmm. And, and this is a wonderful way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate your insight and just the passion that you have for what you're teaching and how it connects to the lives of our students. So, Of course. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tom. I know I always appreciate getting to engage in a philosophical conversation with him. I always feel like I learn a lot and um, I really appreciate how he desires to help point his students to truth and that ultimately that truth has to be founded in Christ. And uh, I'm really thankful that our teachers want to continually point our children and our students to um, to Christ. And so, as you know, it is our prayer that on our campus, through every conversation, our students would be equipped to flourish in the modern world by finding their identity in Christ. I hope that you'll join us again next week.